I just want to point out though, that founders are allowed to have ideas. Everybody's allowed to have ideas. Sometimes those ideas are really good. So we can't just think that every idea that comes out of anybody's mouth is bad. So I like your approach where you're like reverse engineering it and really checking it, which is perfect. I've seen a lot of people just go, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to start from scratch. Founders hate that. Don't do that. Usually they have a lot of domain knowledge and they can see things, but they may not have explained the context to you. So the idea here is to get the context. And if there was no context or they didn't do the work, that will come up from doing user research. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Dear Melissa from the Product Thinking Podcast. The lines are now open and we're ready to answer your most pressing product questions. Which prioritization framework would you recommend and why? Hi, Melissa. Do you have any suggestions on I'm developing a product strategy? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's a lot of questions. All right, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dear Melissa. Today, we are talking about some growing pains with companies. So how do we move from founders leading product into the teams doing a lot more product work? How do we get out of that feature factory? We're also going to talk a little bit about this economy. Ooh, scary stuff, right? Recession. What do we do? What happens if there's a downturn? All really good questions and things that we should be worried about as product managers. But before I dive in here, I just want to remind you that you can submit your questions to me as well at DearMelissa.com. We go through them every two weeks, pick out a couple to answer, but I always love seeing what's on your mind and what you have questions on. So feel free to go over there, drop me a line, let me know what you're thinking about. And also we have this really cool new feature where you can even leave me a voicemail. It can be anonymous. You don't have to say your name, but leave me a voicemail, say your question, And I look forward to hearing all of your cool voices because all I'm doing right now is reading your text. So that'll be fun. So go to DearMelissa.com, leave me a voicemail, call in caller, tell me what's up. So first question, Dear Melissa, in our scale-up company, we have grown from five to 40 employees in about a year. There are three dev teams. They're all feature teams, which are aspiring to become product teams, but the founders are still telling the teams what they should do. Right now, management has made a distinction between what is called strategic product development long-term planning, and operational product development, short-term planning and delivery. To me, this seems like a strange separation. Anything we develop should be aligned with the company and product strategy, which is currently lacking. And it seems like operation product development is just another word for delivery, building the features someone else has decided. Does this separation make sense to you? And have you seen that kind of structure elsewhere? What would be a good way to separate the long-term work of gathering ideas and looking at market trends versus the shorter-term discovery and delivery work? So it feels to me reading this that the founders are kind of delegating the strategy into your teams or into this strategic product development instead of really developing it themselves. So I'm wondering like who's doing that strategic product development? I'm not sure, but if it's not them, why? (laughs) Like what's it bounded by? What is the long-term planning actually focused on if there is no strategy? You are right. This doesn't make sense. This almost feels like what Safe tried to do, where they separated out product management, which was more strategic, and product ownership, which was all delivery focused. And you see a breakdown here when the teams, and especially if you've got a small group of teams here, you've only got three, right? When the teams are not being strategic, there's usually a disconnect between what we want to do, where we want to go with the goals, and what we're actually building for customers. So things get lost in translation, context gets lost in translation. So we want to avoid that. Typically, when teams scale, 
what it should look like is that we've got the founders and the other leaders coming up with a good strategy. They are looking at, you know, where do we want to invest? What are the goals we want to hit? What types of customers do we want to go after? What are the big problems we want to solve? And then the teams are helping to figure out how do we get there by doing good hypothesis-driven product management. Now, this doesn't mean that the founders can't have any ideas. I want to get that out of the way. That's totally fine. We want to make sure, though, that they're the right ideas. And that is what the product team should be doing. They should be contributing to the ideas, but they should also be testing any ideas that we think might be worth their salt. So we want to make sure that we have planning done on multi-year horizons. So the founders and the executives should really be focused on, if you're small, two to three years out. What are our next goals for this year? What are the next goals for the two years? Where's our vision? Where do we have traction? What's our product market fit in? Where do we want to grow? Then we want to narrow down that scope as we get to the teams, but the team should be thinking probably quarterly. The smaller you are as a company, the more rapid your future releases usually are. So quarterly planning is plenty for a company of your size. You don't want to go three-year planning your three years is going to look very, very different than what it does now. And you're probably just going to be wasting your time. But you do need to know what's the strategy for the next like one to two years if you're rapidly improving. So you want them to be higher. And I would think of you want the founders and you want the executives to be higher focused. This is what I observe with founders. Like a lot of them don't know what they should be doing when it comes to strategy. They don't know how to put together a really good company strategy. They don't know how to put together a really good product strategy if you need any alignment that way. And it sounds like by separating these things, going strategic product development and operational product development, they're kind of taking some of that strategic work and putting it into this bucket when that's some of the stuff they have to take on. Now, that doesn't mean that they're doing all the work themselves. Usually what you would do is get a chief of staff, work with the product leaders, have somebody on the team help you gather those ideas, those market trends, do the long-term planning, right? Like you need help when you've got a day job as a CEO or a COO or a CTO or a CPO. You need somebody to help do a lot of the legwork, bring you the information so that you can actually observe it. So this is what seems to be lacking. Separating out the long-term work of gathering ideas and looking at market trends when you are higher up in an organization, you're going to be doing that constantly. You should be doing some of that work yourself, but you should also be hiring a team around you and have a position that would help you bubble that up. If anybody's doing that type of work on the teams, you want to make sure that they have an opportunity to share that with leadership as well. So how do you create opportunities for people to share? Where are the trends going? What's the market outlook? What's happening here? That's what leadership should be looking at. But they want to take all of those things, bring it all together, analyze it, look at it in fun ways and then be like, we're going to go this way. And by this way, I mean a high level direction of where the company should be going. That vision, those strategic intents, not we're going to build a calendar feature on our product, which happens quite often. That's what the team should be coming up with, calendar feature. The executives should be like, we're going to go after B2B customers in healthcare. We want to start with the midsize market because we think we're appropriately positioned for that. And we find that a lot of people are helping the enterprises. We can't go there yet. And the small ones don't need what we are selling. So that's the type of level that we want to get from the executive team. And they want to think about how are we differentiating and where do we want to invest in our types of differentiation compared to our competitors. So that's what they should be really looking at. And you don't want to separate this completely out of product management. This should be funneling down from the high level product management all the way down to the team level product management. And you still need your product managers on teams to be strategic. They should be putting together that long-term product vision around their feature set or their product. If they own a whole product, they own that vision. If they oversee a feature set, they align back up to the overall 
product and they explore problems to extend it or have solved different problems through it. So we really want to make sure that our product managers are being strategic around products. Our executives are being strategic around the company. And then we're bridging that together and working together. But we don't want to separate it out where we're saying, hey, product managers, you're not going to be strategic at all. All you're going to be doing is putting things in Jira backlogs. They don't get the exposure they need to grow. You are just going to have like a bunch of people sitting around probably unhappy. And I wouldn't say sitting around. They're probably going to be working like crazy, but unhappy because they can see where products don't work and they don't have the opportunity to surface that up because somebody's told them what to do. So I think if you start taking the approach with your executives by asking like, why are we doing this? Where are we going with this? What's the goal we're trying to achieve? Is there a certain market segment that we're tackling? All of those questions can help surface up maybe where you're thinking about concentrating on a high-level market overview or high-level product overview, but you might have to help them kind of piece some of these things together and make them put a stake in the ground and say, this is the way that we're going. And this is a great question that kind of segues into our next question, which is similar, but somebody is actually taking action around exactly what you are just talking about. So let's hear from them too. Dear Melissa, my company is a classic feature factory. The founder has ideas and features. Product managers break that down into Jira tickets. Designers slap an on-brand UI onto it, and a scrum team builds a feature over the course of a few sprints. Each month, we describe to the company which features were released with no context about the goal or whether it's working. I'm an individual contributor level PM, and I'm trying to start a grassroots revolution to better engage design and engineering more in the solution design stage. I'm reverse engineering the problem the founder implicitly wants solved, scheduling calls with customers who are likely experiencing that problem, and dedicating time each sprint for the design and engineering teams to engage with the problem. But it's like pulling teeth to get the team to participate actively. Some members of the team dutifully come to the user calls and workshops, but they seem checked out. The way for me to suggest a way to solve the problem and then verbatim design and build the first thing I say. Do you have any tips for how I can interact differently with a team who seems satisfied to operate like a feature factory? Great question. And I like that you are kind of taking the next approach or the next step from what our previous person who wrote in was talking about. So you are doing the reverse engineering, which I think is a great first step for anything where founders start to dictate the features, right? We start to ask questions. Why are we doing this? Where is this problem coming from? I think it's also good. I just want to point out though, that founders are allowed to have ideas. Everybody's allowed to have ideas. Sometimes those ideas are really good. So we can't just think that every idea that comes out of anybody's mouth is bad. So I like your approach where you're like reverse engineering it and really checking it, which is perfect. I've seen a lot of people just go, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to start from scratch. Founders hate that. Don't do that. Usually they have a lot of domain knowledge and they can see things, but they may not have explained the context to you. So the idea here is to get the context. And if there was no context or they didn't do the work, that will come up from doing user research. So for my previous person who asked the question, that's a great first step to do with founders as well. So for you, seems like you're there. Hopefully you've got the founders buy-in to do all this work. Sounds like it. Now you're like, okay, what do I do to get my team to participate? One, remember that designers and engineers need to do design and engineering. If you are trying to pull them into too many activities, they will not be able to do the jobs they were hired for. So I want to make sure that you're only doing this once in a while. When we say that we want to bring context to people, you don't have to give them the same exposure and do all these activities to transfer that context. So what do I mean by that? You are deep in this problem. You're exploring it as a product manager. You are talking to the customers. You're going through the data. You're talking to everybody else in the company. You talk to the founders. You understand the goals. How do you translate that to them 
But remember that they also have a job to do that doesn't involve doing your job as well. So if you have them come along to every activity that you do, they're probably going to be checked out because they're like, when can I actually do my work, which is the designing and engineering part of it. Now, part of their job is to understand the context. I don't believe designers and engineers can do their job well without really understanding what they're getting into. So that is fair. Second thing, let's say like, nope, I only do this once in a while. Cool. And you gave them all the other stuff. You distilled some of the information for them. You gave it to them in like a little packet, showed them some user research, all that stuff. If you've already done that and you're only interrupting them from the design and engineering parts, like let's say during a big discovery push or during a couple times a month, and they're still really annoyed with this. Here's where I think one of the issues is. I had trouble with this when I first got it started and was trying to bring my designers and engineers into it as well. Are you giving them enough boundaries where they can make a decision fairly quickly? When people are not used to coming up with the different options, if you give them endless opportunities or endless options, let's say you like sit down in the meeting and you're like, what should we do? They're going to just balk. They'll just be like, oh my God, I have no idea where to start. You're usually going to go around in circles in those meetings. You're going to have people like saying stuff where you're like, wow, that's wildly off topic. (laughs) You will have so many options that it's going to be really hard to choose from. To get people comfortable with ambiguity, you need to tighten the bounds until they start to feel comfortable with this stuff. So what I'd say is maybe don't go in there and just be like, hey, you guys come up with all the ideas. What you want to do is ask for tangible feedback. Get in there, present all the evidence, and then bound it. We believe that we want to solve this problem. Here's the attributes about this problem that really matter to people. Here's what we have today, and this is why it's not working. Do you have any ideas on how we could solve this problem specifically addressing these concerns? If you're getting no answers, framing it like that, maybe you start saying, here's a few options I thought through. What do you think of them? Can you think of other options that are better? That's going to get people a little more comfortable giving feedback. It's going to get people a little more comfortable because you put something in front of them and they can react to it. It's really hard to start this type of work off the bat if you're just like, give me all your ideas. And it's like a free for all and they have nothing to align themselves towards. There are no boundaries. This is what we see when we have issues with strategy deployment as well. If there's no firm strategy, there's no clear direction around like a vision and goals and the boundaries, the guardrails that I talk about where it's like, we can't do this. We can't do that. We want to keep it in this realm. People get really uncomfortable because the span of options gets too big and they don't know how to evaluate it. So you want to tighten those boundaries. It's okay for them not to come up with like 7,000 ideas. You don't need 7,000 ideas. You need two good ones to evaluate and figure out which one to go after. So think of it that way. How do you get super tangible feedback? Also, how do you get them to realize that this is important, right? They might just be like, well, your job is to come up with all the ideas. And you're like, maybe you just be like, okay, it's not my job. My job is to really make sure that whatever we build between all of us is going to hit the business goals and the customer goals. Like I got to make sure that we balance that correctly. All of our jobs is to come up with a solid product and here's our goals. And this is what a solid product means. Here's the implications on design. Here's the implications on engineering. What can you do with your stuff to make this better? How do you contribute to a more amazing product that we could possibly build. You want to make them understand that their job is not just to spit out designs or spit out engineering, but it's really to make a better product. So maybe change the way that you talk to them about doing that so they understand and they get evaluated for doing a good job, not on just code quality, but on really participating in creating a great product. But 
Number one problem I see a lot of people do here and where you get a lot of pushback is they try to bring them to everything. They don't need to go to everything. That's your job. Can you distill some of the information back to them? And then can you make it engaging and can you make it not so scary for them to actually participate in giving options? That's the two things that I would try here and hopefully they'll work for you. All right, we got our last question. Dear Melissa, with a downturn in the economy, should I turn the attention of my product team more towards optimization rather than exploration? That's a great question. This completely depends on where your company is right now. But caveat, you should never let go of exploration. Even if it's just minute exploration, you still got to do it. So here's the two scenarios I can think of where you might choose one over the other. Let's say you are a growth stage team. You just found product market fit, and it's very clear what you should be doing, what you should be building. You're growing, 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 signing all of these new customers up. Now, what you really need to do to weather a downturn in the economy is retention. You got to put your focus on retention. So this is where optimization becomes really important. But discovery also becomes important because you got to make sure that your next set of features, your next things that you got on the roadmap, those things are going to be what your customers want. So if you're in the growth stage, onboarding new people, you want to make sure that you keep them during the downturn. It is costly for them to switch to somebody else, but they will do it if they find that there's a better deal out there for them. So think about that. Now, if you are a really large company and you've been on like a downswing for a while, let's say you're puttering along, you've got a ton of money and you could withstand this downturn for sure, but you're worried that somebody's going to come up and disrupt you or something like that. That's where you really need to start focusing more on exploration. You want to make sure that you're coming up with novel ways to capture people's attention so that they don't just go for whatever's the cheapest option or decide to cut you as a necessary expense in their life. Because when the economy downturns, you have to remember that people will tighten their belts so they're not going to be spending as much. Now, if you are a necessity, you're, let's say like your product is a must have, it's a necessity for people's everyday lives. It's a little easier to weather these downturns. But if you are not, and let's say maybe you're a B2B product, that's really nice to have, but there's other ways or there's other products out there or bigger suites that people typically have that do your job to be done for your product, but they don't do it as well as you. People are going to conserve money. Companies are going to conserve money. So this is where exploration becomes really, really important. You need to make sure that you are creating a product that is 10 times better than what else is out there. You need to be looking at how do I use my design, my experience, my data, my technology to really solve these problems in new, exciting ways. And that's where exploration really becomes key. So usually your company is not on a super high growth spurt at this point where we're talking about this scenario. You probably have been around for a while. You may feel a little bit stagnant. That's where you're going to want to really make sure that you are in exploration mode. You want to optimize what you have because you want to retain who you have. But you got to come up with the thing that's going to give you an edge. And if you have no edge, if you are completely on parity with your competitors, people are just going to compete on price. That's usually what it comes down to. So you don't want that to happen. You want to make sure that you're differentiating your product and you're figuring out what those needs are to a point where you're just better than the competition. That is the thing that's going to set you apart. So growth spurt, you can look at optimization, really focus on retention, but It's not so much like, I guess, an optimization versus an exploration question right now. It's more of a retention and capturing new market share during a downturn, which is going to be a little bit harder. So you got to make sure that you're choosing appropriately for the stage of business that you're in. Excellent question, though. 
All right, that's it for Dear Melissa this week. If you have any questions for me, please submit them to dearmelissa.com. And thank you so much for listening to the Product Thinking Podcast. We always appreciate your attention every week. I love to hear your feedback as well. So please hit me up at Twitter. My handle is at Lissy Jean, L-I-S-S-I-J-E-A-N. I always love to hear what you're thinking and tell me what you want to hear about next. We will be doing more interviews, more things to come. So hit that subscribe button and don't miss out every Wednesday when we release a new episode. We'll see you next time.